place. That and is you say not peaceful, peaceful President Trump. Trump. No, I'm not, not asking. But you say it is. President Trump, say. I'd like to continue with yes, the issue right. of race. <laughs> oh, man. So there was a lot of that last night. Uh, so we had the 2020 presidential debate last night. Uh, that was verse one. And it was interesting, wild and interesting. That's really all I have to say that I can describe it as. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, let's get into the podcast, I guess. Tonight, uh, I'm going to be covering the debate, just showing you guys some highlights I have from the debate, um, just some of the main, main talking points from the debate. And um, then after that, I want to answer some, some questions I've gotten, some more mailbag-style stuff. Uh, I'll do that th at the end, though. Um, feel free to hit me up with any other questions that you'd want in any future podcasts that I can cover, too. This will be more general stuff, more non-current news stuff. Uh, anyway, so let's let's get right into it. Uh, the first first thing that I want to cover is the economy. Um, in the first half of the debate, Chris Wallace, who I think by and large did a, very, a fairly good job as the moderator um, last night, even though he was dealt a tough hand with these two just being rude and nasty to each other all night, um, particularly Trump being extremely nasty and rude, um, he asked about the economy and about economic recovery. Democrats have put a lot of cards in the economy not recovering. Because generally speaking, historically, if a president has a good economy, he, generally speaking, gets reelected again. If he has a bad economy, he has very considerably lower odds of being reelected in, in contrast to those that have good economies. Um, obviously, this bad economy is not a policy-driven bad economy. It's a um, non-organic um recession that's been caused by COVID-19 and lockdowns. So um, Chris Wallace asked a question on that. So here, here we go. Let's listen to Trump's, Trump's response. The economy is, I think it's fair to say, recovering faster than expected from the shutdown. Much faster. In the second quarter, the unemployment rate fell to 8.4% last month. The Federal Reserve says the hit to, to growth, which is going to be there, is not going to be nearly as big as they had expected. President Trump, you say we are in a V-shaped recovery. Vice President Biden, you say it's more of a K-shape. What difference does that mean to the American people in terms of the economy? President Trump, in this segment, you go first. So we built the greatest economy in history. We closed it down because of the China plague. When the plague came in, we closed it down, which was very hard psychologically to do. He didn't think we should close it down, and he was wrong. And again, two million people would be dead now instead of still 204,000 people is too much. One person is too much. Should have never happened from China. But what happened is we closed it down and now we're reopening and we're doing. So that kind of gives you the gist of um, Donald Trump's answer. That I think it was I think it was a fairly good answer um, in terms of his campaign, um, talking about how the economy was good before um, he shut down and how he had to shut down and how even when he was shutting down, when he was doing uh travel bans stuff like that the left tries to act like they were ahead of the ball calling for shutdown calling for travel bans stuff like that before he did it and that's just like if you just go back and look at the history that's not correct um speaking of not correct um later on in this section uh joe biden would go on to accuse donald trump falsely of being the first president uh that would leave office if he were to lose this this um, fall, leave office with a lower job number than he did entering it. And I, I suppose on the surface, that's a correct accusation. However, 
You really, it's really deeper than that, obviously. I mean, any normal person knows that Donald Trump saw extremely large job gains and sustained job growth pretty much through his entire um, presidency. And he lost all of those jobs because of the coronavirus, not because of bad policy, not because of a bad economy. The coronavirus caused a bad economy. So that statement, I suppose, is technically true. But, I mean, not really, and it's at best misleading. The fact is that he has, in fact, worked on this in a way that he's going to be the first president of the United States to leave office having fewer jobs in his administration than when he became president. Fewer jobs than when he became president. First one in American history. Secondly, the people who have lost their jobs are those people who have been on the front lines, those people who have been saving our lives, those people who have been out there dying. So that's what Joe Biden had to say about that. So, um disagree with that first point that second point um isn't necessarily incorrect but it shows you the reason why those people are the, the frontline workers are losing jobs is because they're the ones that have their jobs shut down by the economy at the moment um then they started talking about um taxes tax cuts stuff like that i think donald trump's taxes uh came up in here um i'll cover that a little bit later um in this section but here, here here's what here's what happened makes is because of him take he says he's smart because he can take advantage of the tax code and he does take advantage of the tax code that's why i'm going to eliminate the trump tax cuts and we're going to i'm going to eliminate those tax okay. cuts and make sure that we invest in the people who in fact need the help people out there need help but why didn't you do gonna, it over 20, the no, last no, no, 25 wait, years no, be, all right and then trump cuts in and we don't really care uh, about that any more than that so um it's interesting for Joe Biden to say, from the leaked tax returns we have from Trump, from 2016, you know, that would be before the tax cuts, show that he had massive deductions that he took off to allow himself to pay virtually no personal income taxes. Um, that means that we need to remove the Trump tax cuts. I, I just don't get it. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Not to mention the fact that the Trump tax cuts lowered the, the base um, income tax rates pretty much across the board. They lowered tax rates, generally speaking, across the board. But they also did tie up a few loose ends when it comes to um, tax write-offs, tax returns, sort of stuff like that, that allows loopholes. So, generally speaking, um, when you really get into it, um, from the, the loss of write-off ability that the super rich had they actually were harmed by this tax bill more than you would think um even though their their actual marginal tax rate went down uh so that's that's what joe biden had to say on that that's that's my thoughts on that um that's kind of what donald trump would follow up and say as well here in this next cut um joe biden talked about how he's claiming that donald trump lost jobs um before covid in the manufacturing sector in middle america um if this was true, it would be a very smart appeal on Joe Biden's part in terms of trying to win voters in middle America because that's where Trump won the election, was winning winning the Rust Belt. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't really see any basis for that. Um, also, it's, in this clip, it's funny to watch Joe Biden um, Sleepy Joe count wrong uh, and <laughs> Donald Trump correct him in the middle of interrupting him. Uh, so that that's a that's a funny clip. To, uh, that's something funny to watch out for here in this clip too. Yeah, but, but because what he did even before COVID, manufacturing went in the hole. 
Manufacturing went in a hole. Excuse number me, one. Chris. Wait. Number two. Chris. Number three. They said they, it would they, take. They, no, you were number two. No. Chris, Chris. They said it would this take guy, a miracle sorry. to bring back manufacturing. I brought back 700,000 jobs. They brought back nothing. They gave up on manufacturing. We Part did of not my standard fare. I'm the guy that he brought totally back gave the automobile up on manufacturing. Industry. All right, let him know. We brought. The next interesting thing that they, well, not the next, um, the next interesting thing I'm going to look at is um, considerably later in the debate, towards the final third of the debate, um, Chris Wallace switched the discussion to climate change. Now, generally speaking, from a Republican standpoint, me personally, we lose this argument. Generally speaking, this is a losing topic for Republicans. Um, we, we just don't win the climate change debate because the emotional appeal is not there on the side of, well, these policies that we've tried don't actually really work that well. Um, so obviously I, ex I expected Trump to get smoked in this section of the debate, and the debate had already been going fairly poorly for him. I was, I was a little bit surprised to see him, I would say personally, Donald Trump won this section of the debate, um, which didn't make sense to me because climate change seems like that should be a home, home run slam dunk for um, Joe Biden, but it just wasn't. So um, here's the first part of that. Here's Trump actually sounding fairly competent and fairly understanding on what he's talking about here about forest fires. Okay. The forest fires in the West are raging now. They have burned millions of acres. They have displaced hundreds of thousands of people. When state officials there blame the fires on climate change, Mr. President, you said, I don't think the science knows. Over your four years, you have pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord. You have rolled back a number of Obama environmental records. What do you believe about the science of climate change and what will you do in the next four years to confront it? I want crystal clean water and air. I want beautiful clean air. We have now the lowest carbon. If you look at our numbers right now, we are doing phenomenally, but I haven't destroyed our businesses. Our businesses aren't put out of commission. If you look at the Paris Accord, it was a disaster from our standpoint. And people are actually very happy about what's going on because our businesses are doing well. As far as the fires are concerned, you need forest management in addition to everything else. The forest floors are loaded up with trees, dead trees that are years old and they're like tinder and leaves and everything else. You drop a cigarette in there, the whole forest burns down. You've got to have forest management. What do you You've believe? Got to have cuts. What do you believe about the science of climate change, sir? Uh, I believe that we have to do everything we can to have immaculate air, immaculate water, and do whatever else we can that's good. You know, we're planting a billion trees, the Billion Tree Project, and it's... And here's where I think Trump really knocked it out of the park with this next question Chris Wallace asked. It's very exciting you believe for a lot that, of people. that human pollution, gas, greenhouse gas emissions contributes to the global warming of the planet? I think planet? a lot of things do, but I think to an extent, yes. I think to an extent, yes. But I also think we have to do better management of our forests. Every year, I get the call, California's burning. California's burning. If that was cleaned, if that were, if you had forest management, good forest management, you wouldn't be getting those calls. And so I thought that was, that was really well done there, those, those two answers by Donald Trump. Um, Shocking, to be honest with you. Um, then Joe Biden would go. Joe Biden uh, stumbled his way through the climate change area. He mentioned that he wanted to rejoin the Paris Accords, which is, oh, my God. There is so many better ways to combat climate change other than just throwing money at it. Um, 
so it's just that's very irritating to me. Um, one example that Trump did bring up the um, that Joe Biden and Trump talked about a little bit briefly was that in the Obama administration they made restrictions on new cars. New cars that were sold and made had to meet certain emission standards, um, certain new higher emission standards. And what what ended up happening was in order for the cars to produce such low emissions, they needed to put better technology in them, which re- resulted in a very quick increase in car prices. Um, so as a result, people bought used cars, people bought older cars and drove those around. So it actually increased emissions. Because if you drive an 18-mile-a-gallon car, for example, and the new standard, for example, is 26, this is just numbers, and you don't have the money to buy the 26, you're going to keep driving with the 18-mile-per-gallon car. Where if you could have afforded, say, a 24-mile-per-gallon car, before those restrictions went into place, forcing them to make it 26 and raise the price of the car, you could have switched to that, and that would have saved the country a lot in terms of emissions. Um, so that's just one area where sometimes restriction doesn't always help climate. Um, another interesting area was when Joe Biden was discussing the Green New Deal with Chris Wallace, and in the span of uh, 10 seconds, he contradicted himself three times. Uh, here, have a listen to that. Green New Deal and the idea of what what your environmental change will do. The Green New Deal will pay for itself as we move forward. We're not going to build plants that, in fact, are great polluting plants. Do you support the Green New Deal? Pardon me? You support? No, I don't support the Green New Deal. Oh, you don't? Oh, well, that's a big statement. I support the the radical left. I I support the Biden plan that I put forward. Okay. The Biden plan, which is different than what he calls the radical Green New Deal. All right. So, yeah, uh, Joe Biden supports and thinks the Green New Deal will pay for itself, but also he doesn't support the Green New Deal at all. So, okay, what, what do you stand for, Joe, there? Um, but that's kind of Joe Biden's MO throughout his entire career. He just kind of goes wherever the wherever the voters are. He'll just, he'll just go there and he'll stand for whatever that is. And I, just speaking from personal personal thought here, why is it that we as America can never <laughs> elect or choose somebody that is that is in support of and a proponent of um, atomic energy? Um, nuclear energy is just the best energy source. It just is. It's the it's it's the most environmentally friendly. It's very efficient. Doesn't take up too terribly much space. It's obviously better in terms of um, pollution than um, than um, fossil fuels are and, and things like that, and it's actually very manageable and very safe. Um, there's been a couple disasters that have happened in the world that have just completely ruined the perception of nuclear energy, but that's because of mismanagement and just horrible, horrible, horrible uh, management. So um, anyway, that's just a thought that I've had, and I, um, that's one reason why I was very, very strong Andrew Yang supporter because he's a very, he's very into um, nuclear energy and using that as a, a source for. The United States down the road. Okay, so the fat last thing from the um from the debate that I want to cover is I want to just go over a couple quick clips of Trump's taxes. Then I want to just give you guys my thoughts on the leaks, um, and then I'll close it with the mailbag. Uh, so here we go. As you well know, there's a new report that in 2016, the year you were elected president, and 2017, your first year as president, that you paid. $750 a year in federal income tax each of those years. I know that you pay a lot of other taxes, but I'm asking you the specific question. Is it true that you pay $750 
in federal income taxes each of those two years. I paid millions of dollars in taxes, millions of dollars of income tax. And let me just tell you, there was a story in one of the papers. Show I paid, your tax I paid $38 million one year. I paid $27 million Show us your tax returns. I went, uh, you'll see it as soon as it's finished. You'll see it. You know, oh. if you want to do, go to the Board of Elections. There's a 118-page or so report that says everything I have, every bank I have, I'm totally under leveraged because the assets are extremely good. And we have a very, we have a, we, I built Sir, a great I'm asking company. you a specific question, which but is. let me tell you. I, I understand all of that. I understand return. all of that. But, but let me, a, no, Mr. President, I'm asking you a question. Will you tell us how much you paid in federal income taxes in 2016 and 2017? Millions of dollars. You and that's all there is to it. Um, Donald Trump says he paid millions of dollars in taxes. Um, we haven't seen all the tax returns yet. We don't know everything about the situation. Um, but obviously the man paid more than $750. Also, as we were talking about earlier, Don, and as Joe Biden said, Donald Trump in 2016 bragged that he just uses and abuses our tax code to lower his tax burden because like any smart person would, why would you waste money on taxes when you can instead keep it for yourself? That is, that is maybe you could say immoral. Um, it's definitely tax avoidance, but it, it's not illegal. It's not tax evasion. So nothing that the, the, I think New York times was the leak, nothing that they leaked, nothing that they showed was illegal. Yeah. There was some, some maybe not so great looking stuff for Trump, but none of it was illegal. Um, so here's one last clip I want to show you guys, uh, real quick. Here you go. Let me just say something that it was the tax laws. I don't want to pay tax Be before I came here. I was a private developer. I was a private business people like every other private person, unless they're stupid, they go through the laws and that's what it is. He passed a tax bill that gave us all these privileges for depreciation and for uh, tax credits. We build a building and we get tax credits like the hotel on Pennsylvania Avenue. So there it is right there again. Like I said, Trump knows that he's he's using the tax code to his advantage to pay less taxes, just like any smart person should be. Um, and he makes a good point that he's not been in politics before. He's just using the laws that other politicians put in place, you know, like career politicians such as um, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, the guy that's been in politics for 47 years. So um, that's what Trump had to say on that. Now, here's my quick thoughts on the Trump tax stuff. Obviously, it does not look good for Trump. Um, I think it it definitely does not bode well with middle America um, where he wins his votes because he obviously campaigns as the, the guy for the common man. Now, what kind of what kind of guy who stands up for the common person doesn't pay as much taxes as the common person, even though he makes way more money than them? So that that's not a good look for him. And it will obviously be something that Democrats will campaign on from here on out until November. Um, but again, from what we have right now, Donald Trump didn't do anything illegal. He, he, he just didn't like he, he I'm sorry I don't I don't know what else to say he did not break any laws when he was when he was doing his taxes so I just don't know I don't know why people can harp on that now people again I think it would be a very smart strategy to harp on the fact that this man says he represents you but he's stealing tax money from you by being dishonest and being immoral with the tax code now, I think that's a better, more winnable argument than saying he committed tax fraud, let's throw him in prison, because he didn't commit tax fraud. Um, so anyway, um, I'm going to move on to the mailbag here um, with a couple questions that I've gotten throughout the week. Uh, the first one I got was, um, I wanted to cover the Supreme Court a little bit more because 
um, Donald Trump finally nominated um, somebody to fill uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. Um, he nominated Amy Coney Barrett. Thank you. Finally, I wanted her to be nominated last time, but she wasn't. Um, now she's nominated this time, and this is she's an awesome just, judge. She's gonna be an even better justice. Um, Catholic mother, um, Catholic mother of seven, I believe, five adopted children, or two adopted children, five um, that she had with her husband. Um, just, just an all-around good person. Um, so I'm excited to see um, how how this confirmation goes. Now the Democrats know obviously that they can't they can't try to Kavanaugh her um, because obviously this person does not they're, they're not going to be able to come at her from a moral argument they're not going to be able to accuse her of sexual assault um, based off of anonymous reports so it's going to be a tough fight for them and they know that anything that they do to attack this woman is going to look bad for them in the fall election so instead their strategy is to um, boycott the hearings um, so we'll see how that goes I would imagine she is going to end up being confirmed before Donald Trump before this election happens and if it if not she will be confirmed before Donald Trump leaves office um, which I'm glad to hear um, you know if you're the Democrats it would sure be nice to have some way to prevent that like maybe a, a filibuster or something and that leads me into my next question I was asked what's filibuster um, what are Democrats talking about about ending the filibuster um, essentially the Senate filibuster is where a, a senator will stand up and continue debate on a bill until eventually time runs out in the session and the bill is tabled. And it, it's, it's a way to prevent bills that this, the Senate minority doesn't like from passing. The reason why this works is because um, 60 members uh, must vote to end, end debate on, um, on normal bills. This used to also apply to uh, justices and justice confirmations, but back when Obama was president... Um, that rule was ended um, by the Democrats. So good job, you screwed yourself again, Democrats. You didn't think through the consequences of your actions, and yeah, it bit you in the butt. So anyway, um, the filibuster um, is yeah used to combat um, used to be used to combat justice nominations that were disliked by the minority, and now it's just used to combat bills. Um, a noteworthy one that happened, um, one of my personal favorite senators, um, Rand Paul, um, in 2013, um, had a nearly 13-hour-long filibuster in, in the Senate. Um, the reason why he was doing this was because he wanted to um, to combat the confirmation of um, Brennan to take over um, a spy agency. Um he didn't like this because um, Rand Paul is a very isolationist in terms of his foreign policy, and he thought that this confirmation would be dangerous um, because of drone strikes on U.S. citizens and American soil due to monitoring. Um, the filibuster ended up failing, but it went for 13 hours. So that's a good example. I can put some other. I can give you examples, links of examples to stories. So anyway, the Democrats want to end the filibuster because they anticipate taking control of the White House and then having a slim minor, or majority in the Senate. Uh, after November. That's that's their goal and their hope. So if they were to end the filibuster, they would be able to pass legislation um, very quickly without much um, resistance from a Republican minority because they'd only need 51 votes. Um, ending the filibuster in other areas is one of the main reasons why polarization in the Senate and House is growing and why the, the, um, two, uh, the two chambers of Congress keep getting more and more partisan and it seems more and more like compromise isn't possible because we've taken out every single 
means that we can use as a country to force them, the politicians in those chambers to compromise. Um, so I think this would be a, would be a very bad idea. Um, and then finally, one more thing is um, I was asked, what is packing the courts? Um, and this would go hand in hand for the Democrats this fall if they were to win in November and take the Senate and the presidency is what they would do is say that Amy Coney Barrett is is confirmed. That would mean Donald Trump confirmed three justices while he was in office, um, which would take the court and make it a strong six to three or five to four majority for conservatives, depending on where you think Justice Chief Roberts is going to go because he's kind of a a crazy one and you never know exactly how he's going to vote. So anyway, say that were to happen. The Democrats, if they were to pass something like Medicare for All through the Senate and through the House because they own both of those, and then it was be signed into law by Joe Biden, the odds that it is struck down in the Supreme Court are exceedingly high because of the amount of originalist justices that are now on the Supreme Court. However, if they were to gain the Senate majority and end the filibuster, well, and they've already ended the filibuster on justice confirmations, they could do what's called stacking the court. Now, this has been tried throughout U.S. history. Um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt trying to pass pack the court to pass all of his New Deal legislation is one of the best examples of this. He failed at it. Um, the Constitution doesn't mandate a specific number of justices for the Supreme Court, but it's traditionally always been nine. The concept of packing the court would be adding new justices until you have a majority of justices on that court that agree with you. For example, Joe Biden would um, nominate four new justices to serve on the Supreme Court, making the number of justices go from 9 to 13. That's the number that FDR also wanted um, back when he was president. Um, if Joe Biden is able to hand-select four new justices and confirm them through his Democrat Senate and then they would become justices, he would have a liberal majority on the court because all of those justices would vote in a way that he wanted because he hand-picked them. Now, the reason why this would be so detrimental to our institutions in this country is because then what would the Republicans do when they become, when they win the presidency and Senate back again? Well, they're going to do the same thing, and next thing you know, we're going to have 15 justices, then we're going to have 17, and we're just going to keep adding justices to vote the way we want, and it's going to completely destroy the apolitical nature of the Supreme Court, and it's going to completely just destroy any trust in legitimacy of that branch of our government. So I think that would be just a horrible, horrible mistake for the Democrats to do that. And interestingly enough, Ruth Bader Ginsburg agreed with, agrees with me. Um, she says that it would be a bad mistake because it would ruin the, the apolitical nature of the Supreme Court as well, just like me. Um, so anyway, that's about all I have for you guys tonight. This one is a, a lot longer than my past podcast, but I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you're able to learn something. Um, I wasn't able to live stream this debate, but I think I'm probably going to live stream the following presidential and vice presidential debates. Um, may have some some other politi- politically involved friends in there to give opposing viewpoints to mine. Um, I think it's going to be a good time, so I'll let you know few, um, on the Instagram and on my Snapchat, obviously, um, for future dates like that. Um, anyway, God bless. I hope you guys all have a, a good rest of your week.